This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mix in just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries. Eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Pauly, and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 175 of Hibbley Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. And I have a little bit of a raspy voice. It's my Bon Scott impersonation. Mm-hmm. Pretty sexy, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm fighting through a code, but we're going to get through this story tonight and uh, see if we can do it sounding halfway normal. First of all, we want to thank all of our military civil servants all over the country, all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you guys for what you do and keeping us safe so we can do silly things like create podcasts. Amen. And I didn't know there was a um, fireman that lost his life in Minnesota earlier this week during a fire, and and I think uh, four others that lost their life. Oh, no. Unfortunately, so I want to send prayers and thoughts out to his family. I'm so sorry to hear that. God bless you all. We complain about little things like having a code, but we know that there's a lot of people that are going through a lot more serious issues, especially this time of year. They're struggling for whatever reason. They lost loved ones, and it's the first holidays without them, or it's just a situation where they just, for some reason, this time of the year, it's gloomy, it's nasty in a lot of places, and it just makes you feel like, uh, you know, questioning whether you should be here, whether you shouldn't be here. There's no need to question that you should always know that you're wanted, you're needed, you're loved, friends, family members, us. Um, so if you're in that situation where you're just questioning things, just know that there are people who care about you and they want you around. We sure do, guys. Please reach out. We're all here to love you. You can reach out to us. You can join our group. It's a very good support group. It's Hillbilly Horror Stories on Facebook. And, you know, like I said, you can always reach out to the uh, Tracy and myself, mm-hmm. uh, personally, if you feel like that you need to. And if you want to be a little more anonymous, you can do the 1-800 number here in uh, the Suicide Hotline in America, 1-800-273-8255. And if you're a little more of a texter, 741-741. Yeah, please don't hesitate any time to call or anything, please. Yeah, just reach out to somebody. do want to say in the beginning of this show that we are a proud member of the Podbelly Network this thing is growing and growing and growing. There's some great shows on there. Here's a couple of shows for you to check out when you get an opportunity. The We're Not Sure Yet podcast. Mm-hmm. The Ectoplasm Show. That's a good paranormal podcast if you haven't listened to that one. Try that one out. The Life Bites podcast, and that's B-Y-T-E-S. Nice. Like computer. Play on words like yeah, that. Yeah, I love it. Here's another fun one. This one's got to do with like horror movies and mm-hmm. stuff. It's Kim and Ket, K-E-T, Stay Alive. <laughs> you basically, it's like a little contest each week to see who, who would stay alive during this horror movie. Oh, So it's fun. pretty fun. So check those shows out when you get an opportunity. Tonight, in this episode of 175, we're going to do something that probably should have done a long time ago. Because once I got into the story, I was kind of fascinated by mm-hmm. it. The Yeti. The Yeti. So we're all familiar with 
the brand Yeti, mm-hmm. you know, the, the high-end coolers and cups and stuff like that, keeps ice forever. It Love does, it. for real. For somebody like me who's an ice freak, they're like the dream come true. But how much do you really know about the Asian counterpart of Bigfoot, known as the Yeti? Not a daggone thing. The Yeti was actually better known in the early to mid-1900s as, you know this. I don't. The Abominable Snowman. What is wrong with me? (gasps) I love him. (laughs) And yes, that's the same inspiration for the character in the Rudolph Red-Nosed Render. I'm sorry, I just could not even think. I guess because I haven't watched Rudolph yet this year. Now here's what they got wrong right off the bat. Uh Uh-oh. The Yeti, if you're going to believe eyewitnesses is either gray or a reddish-brown creature. So he's not white, like on... On for Rudolph? On Rudolph. I guess because of being the abominable snowman, it just made sense to make him white. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a bunch of information on the Yeti, including some scientific testing and evidence and lots of stories from natives of the Himalayan area, including some Buddhist monks. Nice. So as far as history goes, some think that the legend of the Yeti is just a made-up tale from the natives... Basically, from... That was scary. <laughs> Sorry, I was temporarily possessed by the demon phlegm. <laughs> and that was, pretty, that was pretty impressive, I thought. You can do things when you got a cold you normally can't I do. I know. But anyway, so this was... the I, Most people came, seem to think that the, the tale of the Yeti was like a warning... For the town's members and stuff to kind of stay close, stay in groups, and not wander off. And when you really think about it, it's basically the plot of the of the movie The Village. Oh, yeah. Because remember, they were like, it was like today's age, but you would have thought it was like the early mm-hmm. 1900s, late 1800s or something like that. And they were always warning them about that monster that would mm-hmm. come out in the woods. And in reality, that was just... They was just their way of making sure nobody wandered off. Oh, so well, whatever it takes. So that's what a lot of people seem to think. That's what the Yeti legend was. Now, how long have these stories been around? Longer than you would ever realize. Because Alexander the Great, and let me say this, Alexander the Great seems like a very cocky name. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know if he gave himself that name or somebody else did. But when he conquered the Indus Valley in 326 B.C., Okay, he conquered something, so he's allowed to be cocky. Okay. Well, that's what Muhammad Ali said. It's not bragging if you can back it up. That's right. Anyway, but when he conquered this valley, he demanded to see a Yeti. This was 326 B.C. Oh, my gosh. So this is how long these stories have been going on. So he was told by locals, which are in this area, the, the locals are the Shepas. Mm-hmm. That's the, the natives around there. That they couldn't because the Yeti could not survive at a, at a low altitude like they were at. It had to be up higher on the mountain. So, therefore, they couldn't show it to him. Like I said, though, 326 B.C., that's, I mean, that's just forever ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're going to breeze through some of these and then go a little deeper into some of the other stuff in a bit. So, let's talk about the name Abomin- Abominable Snowman. Let's talk about me being able to say it first. Mm-hmm. The western part of the world didn't know much about the legend at all and about the Yeti until 1921. Since 326 <laughs> right. B.C.? It took us till 1921 to learn about it. So there was a group of explorers from Great Britain, and they had just returned from climbing Mount Everest. There was a journalist by the name of Henry Newman. Newman. He, <laughs> he interviewed a bunch of them, 
when they as soon as they returned it. And apparently, the men climbing the mountain discovered some large footprints on the mountains, and the guide said that it was Meto Kangmi, which meant man bear snowman. He misunderstood the translation and thought it was filthy snowman. Filthy snow. Oh, what the heck? Where do you even get that from? <laughs> and I don't know, but he thought abominable snowman sounded better, and that's what he wrote in his article, and that's how the paper published it, and thus that's how the name was born. Well, I'll be dang. So let's talk about a few sightings. In 1942, two hikers said that they saw two black specks walking in the snow about a quarter of a mile below where they were climbing on the mountain. They said that they guessed this creature was approximately six feet tall. It had a squarish type head. They didn't see any type of ears protruding, so they said if it had ears, it had to sit pretty close to the head. Their shoulders kind of sloped down, and it it had a powerful chest. They said it had reddish-brown fur. It had really short hair that's really, you know, Mm -hmm. short to his body, but it did have some long, straight hair that faced downwards. So I'm assuming that they must have had binoculars or something because a quarter of a mile away is pretty far that, for them to uh, yeah, be that's that damn a, exact. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I couldn't have told you that something had close hair and long hair and no ears and all that from a quarter of a mile away. Never. That's pretty far. So another witness saw a creature that was about the same size and build of a small man. He said that the face and the chest had very little hair on it but the head was covered in long brownish red hair. I bet he had a mullet. <laughs> How funny would that be? Seriously, it's all short and then kind of long in the in the back. Hillbilly foot. Yeah, hillbilly foot, yo. He said the creature walked upright on two legs. He said it was digging up roots and would occasionally emit a high-pitched scream. Wow. I wonder what that sounded like. I don't know, I can't do a high-pitched scream right now or I'd try. <laughs> I could do a high-pitched nothing. Nothing. Okay, so there's you a gentleman no by the name of Reinhold Mesner. He wrote a book in uh, 2001 called My Quest for the Yetis Confronting the Himalayan's Deepest Mysteries. That's a really long title. It sure is. In his book, he said that he had an encounter with a creature that he couldn't identify. He also said that many people misidentify tracks from large bears as Yeti tracks. He spent several months in Tibet and Nepal and experienced these misidentifications on several occasions. So his little way of saying, eh, it's not always a Bigfoot track or a Yeti track. Yeah. In March 1986, a well-known and very experienced hiker in the area thought he saw a Yeti. He was standing in the snow about 500 feet away. He was near a ridge. He said it made no noise and it didn't move. He also Maybe it was a tree stump. <laughs> well, you're closer than you think. He also noticed that strange tracks that were leading up to the figure. So he snapped a couple of pictures. They were analyzed and they were found to be completely genuine. And they were genuine. Genuine pictures of a rock. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Researchers came back a year later and they could see a dark rock that had looked uh, vertical. From the position that he was standing, mm-hmm. uh, the gentleman's name, by the way, was Anthony Woolridge, who did this. And he's the one that took the pictures. So it did look like yeah. from where he was that it possibly could be something, but it was just a simple mistake because it was a rock. I mean, we've all done that. I've done that. We've I've not looked... all 
fakingly taking a picture of a Yeti. Well, no. I mean, looking at something and you're like, oh, my God. I wonder if that's a person or just really standing yeah. still or whatever, you know. I doubt, I've done it several times. I don't doubt it. Mm-hmm. The first man to actually climb Mount Everest was Sir Edmund Hillary in 1960. He found what was, what he thought anyway, was the scalp of a Yeti. So we'll get into more of, of that situation a little bit later when we dig a little deeper. In 2011, the Russian government organized a conference of Bigfoot experts in western Siberia. The research researchers and biologists that was leading the expedition said that he found evidence of a Yeti had been building nests. He knew this because of twisted tree branches that were found and right in the area that would be similar to what gorillas and stuff would use to build mm-hmm. nests. So, right on line. This made headlines all across the world because they said that they had indisputable proof and were 95% sure of the existence uh, mainly because of some hair found in, in of these in a cave that Yetis existed. Well, I mean, how do they know that? It could have been the hair of anything. The hair of the dog. It could have, I mean, microphone. what, did they analyze it or put it under a microscope or what they do? We'll get to that. Oh. There's another gentleman on that expedition by the name of Jeff Meldon, who was basically a very big skeptic and he felt that the evidence found was a hoax. Mm-hmm. Jeff was an anthropologist and an anatomy professor from Idaho State University. And he's also a Bigfoot believer. So he doesn't doubt the yes. existence of those type of things. He just said that the twisted branches looked like they had some evidence that some tools had been used on them. That a Yeti wouldn't have had access to to make them twisted. And also that the nests were right off of a well-traveled trail and and that's not exactly in a remote area where he would expect to find uh, a bigfoot type creature but why would they do this if that was a hoax why would they do it just for the headlines or, or whatever i don't know that's a lot of work well melden seems to think that those um the whole expedition was a publicity stunt because that area where all this took place is a very poor coal mining region and it was done just to build up tourism and oh. stuff like that there so even though these headlines and stuff said they had indisputable proof, really nothing more has come from the story since then. Not one thing. No, other than the fact that this guy's saying it was pretty much a hoax. So And they just dropped it. Yeah, pretty much. In 2013, Brian Sykes sent a message to anyone claiming to have Yeti hair, teeth, or tissue to send him some, and he would analyze it. He is a geneticist. Oh, okay. So I guess that's right up his alley. All right. But they didn't find teeth, though, right? I don't think anybody's found teeth. From everything that I've seen, it's been hair tissue type mm-hmm. samples. So he got 57 samples sent to him. Daggone, that's a lot. He chose 36 of them for DNA testing. The samples were then um, compared to other animals that were in the DNA database, basically. Most were cows, horses, or bears. Two of these, though, were from Bhutan, and one of them was from India. It was a 100% match of a Pleistocene polar bear that lived sometime between 40,000 years and 120,000 years ago. That is amazing. 
So that's that a, is amazing. That was a period of time when brown bears and polar bears were separating as a species. Mm-hmm. So there was only one type of bear, but they eventually became two bears, the polar bear and the brown bear. And this was about the time that took place. But you can see how odd that would be. If that was something, that, how do you have hair and stuff of something that lived forty to 100,000 years ago? You wouldn't unless that creature was still alive somewhere, which was <laughs> his point that maybe right. this is something like man. that. So Sykes feels like the samples were kind of uh, polar bear, brown bear hybrid. Somehow that there's still a mixture of the two running around. Two other scientists, gentlemen by the name of Ross Barnight and, wow, Sarah Dean Edwards, they reanalyzed it and they came up with it. It was just a, a some kind of a rare sub uh, brown bear type deal so it was a it was a rare entity of a brown bear that was running around Hmm. not your typical brown bear yeah which is kind of what he said yeah he did in different words but then there was another team of analysts that said that they were just regular brown bears altogether, and both of the other people were basically nuts so i mean you got three different sets of scientists now come up with three different things Mm -hmm. and i'm supposed to believe global warming I'm just kidding. I'm not getting into that. Trust me. 2017, there was a team of researchers that analyzed nine Yeti specimens, including bone, teeth, skin, hair, and feces. So apparently there were some kind of teeth found. Mm -hmm. These came from caves, monasteries, and other sites in the Himalayas and Tibetan Plateau. They also collected samples from bears in the area. And other parts of the world, just to kind of see how they matched up between the samples they had. Of the nine samples, eight were Asian black bears, Himalayan brown bears, or Tibetan brown bears. The ninth was a dog. A dog? <laughs> he got up there and joined in the party. Apparently. So let's talk about the monks and dig a little deeper into the legend. There are... Hair-covered giants and creatures and wild men covered on every continent as long as man can remember. Hmm. The Yeti in the Himalayas, Bigfoot in the U.S., uh, South America, they've got the Momo Grande. In Siberia, they have the Almost. And in China, they have the urine. Not to be confused with the feces. Urine is not feces. Exactly. That's what I just said. But that's the name of the creature there is the urine. So for talk of giants and hairy men and wild men, even go far back as the Bible. Genesis 6-2 mentions hairy covered giants. Mm -hmm. Genesis also talks about Esau being a very hairy covered baby when he was born in 25, chapter 25, verse 24. And if you don't know that story... We won't get into too far, but basically Esau was a twin Mm -hmm. and you know, the first baby came out fine. He came out and was hairy during the course of, uh, I want to say it's Jacob was the other, I can't remember anyway, but anyway, so as time went, he was the hairy one and he kind of had instincts more of a wild animal where the other brother was more human and eventually his family just kind of cut him off and who the hairy one yeah esau oh maybe it's no shade november they should have given him a break <laughs> um, but that was you know 2000 bc mm-hmm. 
And they, and the Bible was talking about 2000 BC, talking about hairy men and wild men. The Babylonians, they believed, Okay, I'm sure they didn't have razors back then. No, but most kids shouldn't be born covered in hair. I'm just saying. Oh, that's true. Probably a lot. <laughs> so the Babylonians, they actually believed in characters like this too. And uh, in the story that they once had, they've talked about Gilgamesh. He was sent to fight in Guido. It's actually in, in Quito. I'm sorry. And he was like this hairy wild man, you know, all this stuff. Just some wild man out in the woods covered in hair. And that's what he was, you know, the hero was to go out and fight this guy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in, in the Babylonian times, you're talking, you know, back in the same time period as the Bible for the most part. So, I mean, these stories go way back to where they're fighting these creatures that are hairy, you know, wild men or something like that. Even in Beowulf, Grandel was a wild hairy man. So I mean it's that's back in European stories. I love Beowulf. Beowulf was cool. It's a cool story. Anyways. Maybe they're Italian. Italians are hairy. You are not helping matters. Oh. So follow me on this. There was an ape that was the biggest of its kind. It's called Gigantic Pithecus. Hmm. We're talking way back. This thing was 10 feet tall. It lived in Southeast Asia. God, 10 feet tall. They went extinct about 300,000 years ago. Okay? Yeah. A million years ago, though, Homo erectus started migrating from Africa. Now, these were the first real people to evolve from apes. People will talk about like Neanderthal and mm-hmm. cavemen, all that stuff. <clears throat> so these were like the first real people a million years ago. Mm-hmm. Far cry from what we've got today. They were more ape-like, but mm-hmm. they were people. So they started traveling out of Africa. They eventually, about 800,000 years ago, made it to Southeast Asia where the gigantic Apithecus were. But they were much smarter. They were much smaller, but they were much smarter. Mm-hmm. And they would hunt these large apes. And then over the course of the 500,000 years, they became extinct. So my question is, with all the talk about history and stuff through, about all these hairy wild men, could this be what the Bible and some of these other, other books are actually talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, is this like the missing link? And maybe this is Bigfoot, Yeti, or whatever the people are seeing. I mean, think about it. We evolved. Look at look at how we look as people now. Uh-huh. We evolved from apes at some point in time. But yet we still have apes. Well, that's true. So why wouldn't there still be the missing link, so to speak, the middle version somewhere out there? Well, that's a good question. That's what I do. I pose good questions. You do. So I thought... You know, it's maybe a possibility that that's what that actually is. Maybe yes. Bigfoot is a missing link and Yeti and something like that. Genghis Khan in the 13th century said that he had a run-in with uh, one of these wild men in the foothills of the Himalayas. So we're back to the 13th century. There's, so you got Genghis Khan and then, you know, like I said, some of these other people way back in history that are all having, you know, run-ins with these people. There was a monk book of medicine in the 18th century. It said the wild man lives in the mountains. It has the body of a man, 
but the origins of a bear and is extremely strong. His meat can be eaten to treat mental disorders and his gallbladder cures jaundice. Oh, God. So they were telling you to kill this thing and eat it to help cure stuff. I don't know about all that. So in, in this book, though, they've got a sketch of what some think is the Yeti because it fits the description that everybody gives. In Nepal, there's a monastery called Natal Boucher. And it's got supposedly caps and skins that were made of Yetis. And they've been kept there by the monks for hundreds of years. This is kind of the center of Yeti folklore in the Himalayas, is right here at this monastery. They tell stories of a Yeti who visited a monastery many years ago, and he climbed over the roof of a monk, and the monk was paralyzed and couldn't move. The next morning, they saw footprints out in the snow of this creature. So several of the Sherpa villagers have claimed to have seen the Yeti. In 1975, a villager by the name of Lakba Doma had a brutal encounter. She was out there hoarding some livestock, and she said the the monster started letting out a whistle. She thought that it was her brother who was, was out there with her, that, that he just came up and was just kind of messing around with her. But she said she saw this thing. It grabbed her hair and her clothing and threw her in the stream. It then killed three cows and walked off in a strange twisting motion. <laughs> like, hey, look at me. I'm the man. <laughs> Like John Travolta. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. She knows, says she knows it wasn't a bear or any other type of animal in the area because she's seen them all. Mm-hmm. And this definitely wasn't one of them. There's a Sherpa scientist by the name of Lakpa Norbu. He says that some people in the area think that it's definitely a supernatural entity and others think it's some kind of um, unspecified animal. Well, let me ask you this. So, you said the thing jumped on the roof of a monk, of the monk. Yes. What if the monk isn't allowed to talk? Do you think he would break that vow if he knew he was getting ready to be eaten and scream, help me, help me? I think he would write a very aggressive note. (laughs) 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 Probably in all caps. That's just my guess. (laughs) Now, this scientist I'm just telling you about, he admits that as a scientist... He knows there is no concrete evidence to prove that there is a Yeti. But as a Sherpa, if he spent the night on the mountain, he would be scared to death. Mm, I bet. So. I bet he would be. I don't know how he can know for 100% proof that there is no Yeti. Yeti, I mean. Yeti. Yeti. Well, they haven't haven't found any Yeti. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. You know what I'm saying? How's he know? Wait, but there's no concrete evidence. There's no legitimate proof. There's just people saying what they saw. Yeah, but the world's a pretty big place. Well, that it is. So we talked about the British mountain climbers earlier, mm-hmm. where the story came, where the abominable snowman came. In 1921, Colonel Howard Berry saw the large human-like footprints about 21,000 feet up the mountain on Mount Everest. So he sent the story by telegraph over to India. And that's when the British press kind of got wind of the story and it eventually led to the, the whole naming of the abominable snowman. The creature started appearing in comic books, regular books, movies, 
and everything after that point. In 1953, the British press decided that they were going to mount their own expedition, and after several weeks, they called it quits with only some pictures of footprints. Most scientists said it was bears or Himalayan monkey prints. I don't know what a Himalayan monkey is, but I want to look it up and see what they look like. Mm -hmm. Some claims that it was just a hoax all the way around. In 1957, Tom Slick, he was a Texas millionaire, made all his money in oil. And he wanted to do a scientific expedition. His was different than these other expeditions because he saw the Yeti as half human, half missing link. And he felt that they could find it, that it might lead to some medical discoveries and some medical cures. His whole expedition focused on the Yeti as an animal and not as a creature or monster. His crew were all zoologists and were trained animal observers. So that's where these other ones different. He also used a, small, uh, a much smaller search party. Some of these search parties that went out there for this thing were 300 people. Dad, he figured it's just going to scare things off. So he broke into two small crews. So of his two crews, one of them was going to search for footprints, and the others were kind of uh, going into the jungle and kind of check around in there and see what they could find. They found footprints, hair, fecal matter, and what was thought to be a nest of a yeti. He thought this because the nest looked similar to what African gorillas made. This led people to think that the yeti was some type of an um, undiscovered primate. They also interviewed the Buddhist monks. Now, they kept these caps and, and such made from Yeti fur. We've talked about a little bit earlier. They also had a scalp. And more importantly, they had a mummified hand that they said belonged to a Yeti. Oh, wow. And we're going to find out more about that right after this commercial break. I've seen pictures of this, and we'll post some of this. The, this hand is kind of cool looking. No, oh, I bet. It makes you think about the old story about the monkey's paw. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so they got the hand. They begged the monk to let them take this hand for some testing, but they refused for religious reasons. Not one to take no for an answer. <laughs> Mr. Slick's expedition, some of the members decided that, well, we're just going to trick them, and we're going to take this hand mm-hmm. or some part of it. So a gentleman by the name of Peter Burns, he got one of the caretakers drunk. Then he took two fingers from the hand. He replaced the fingers with human bones, and then he wrapped it all back up because it was under like you know this wrapping. Oh. He wrapped it all back up so they wouldn't be able to see mm-hmm. that part of it was gone, and then maybe if they did expose, you know, even see it, that that. By then they, they might know. They would notice it because he put two fingers on there. Oh, <laughs> that's a pretty good idea. I don't know how you just randomly have two fingers just well, in case that comes kinda, up. Yeah, that's kind of weird. So then he walked across N- N- to the Nepal into India so they wouldn't get caught because they were right there by the border. Mm-hmm. Original testing by the man named Osmond Hill said it came from an unknown primate. So obviously that's very promising. In 1960, another study came up with a different conclusion, though. So we talked about Sir Hillary earlier, Mm -hmm. Sir Edmund Hillary, who was the first one to climb Mount Everest. He and Marlon Perkins, the Marlon Perkins from Wild Kingdom. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, cool. They decided that 
they wanted to do a very highly publicized expedition and hunt for the Yeti. And they looked at most of the evidence, the same evidence that Slick mm-hmm. had just done over there. They got one of the scalps and had it tested. It turned out to be a native sheep called a, a Sirwa. Sirwa. Mm-hmm. A sheep? Yeah, it was a sheep. So it was... It was, well, that's far off. Yeah, it was kind of far off. The hand, they said, was a human hand. Now, it's possible that they could have just analyzed the two human bones mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't know. I don't know to the level that they actually analyzed it, but that's what they said. The hand was actually stolen in 1980, so there's no way to further analyze it. Oh, well, that's kind of sucky. So after they came out and said all this was malarkey and all this stuff, talk of the Yeti just kind of died off. And then Slick died in a plane crash in 1962, so he never really got a chance to dispute what um, Hillary and and Marlon Perkins found. But what did happen was they had all these different boxes, unopened, as a matter of fact, of all this evidence that Slick had found during his Mm -hmm. uh, expedition, and it was on his estate for years And then Lauren Coleman, we've talked about Lauren several times. He is like the head cryptozoologist. Mm -hmm. He's got his hand in in all this stuff. He's the expert, the true expert. He was able to get, find and get all this evidence. There were fecal matters and hair samples. And the fecal matter was analyzed and determined to have bacteria from an unknown primate. Hmm. Yeti poop. That news never got publicized, though. Yeah, Yeti poop. There was some recently renewed interest in the Yeti, though. It's not unheard of to hear rumors about animals like this, and then they turn out to be actually real animals. In Africa, there were rumors of a human-like creature that was pretty much blown off by Western civilization. That was until 1864. That's when gorillas were discovered. A little later in 1915 in China... The folklore of a wonderful creature was found to be reality when the first giant panda bear was captured. Aww. In 1976, the megamouth shark was discovered when it washed up in the Hawaiian Islands. No kidding. So all these were myths until they were captured or discovered. In 1994 in Vietnam, there's a little remote, remote corner of the jungle called the Lost World. Zoologists discovered two new species. Both were large mammals. One was the muntjac. This is like a, a an antelope type creature. And it spends most of its time in water. It's got like a really weird shaped head. Its nostrils are actually on top of its muzzle. Oh, weird. Yeah. <laughs> the other one was a spindle horn. This is a jungle ox. It's unlike any other ox in the world. But there's a third creature that the natives talk about in the jungle. It's a large, hairy, bipedal. What's bipedal? Walks on two feet. Oh. Primate. Ooh. See, he keeps showing up now. Well, see, there's the whole thing. Is they talk about, they there were three animals they kept saying they'd seen, mm-hmm. but they didn't supposedly exist. And then they went and found two of them. Who's to say this third one doesn't exist? Richard Greenwell, he's a zoologist. 
He said it's odd that so many types of people that are isolated from each other in all different parts of the world have similar sightings. Mm -hmm. Almost to the point where it's not like the rumor of this person, you know, this person came over and told this one about that. They're they're not in communication with each other. Yeah, they're not even close, yeah. In 1994, Greenwald led an American-Chinese expedition in China to look for the urine. They were impressed with all the interviews they got from simple folk and peasants. Some of them actually drove for miles around to tell their story, and they were getting nothing out of this. But they wanted to tell about their stories that they had had. They got several hair samples from the area of urine sightings, and they took them for nuclear testing. This was at the University of Shanghai. What they looked for in these was the amount of zinc and copper. Because that's really what sets primates apart into different types of primates is the amount of zinc and copper that are, that are in their hair follicles and stuff like that. Well, that's interesting. So when they compared these samples to other primates, it was conclusive that there were they were from unknown primates and it didn't match anything else in the system. So you had some of the top scientists in China feeling like they have top evidence to support the existence of an unknown primate. So does this prove that there is a Bigfoot or a Yeti? Is it possible that there are more cavemen-type people out there that haven't evolved? It's possible, would you say? Could be. So the last thing we're going to talk about is a couple from Belgium. Now, they shot a 45-minute video in 1996. They turned to kind of look at their footprints. They were just taking, like, Regular video like you would if you were skiing. That's mm-hmm. all they were doing. They were skiing. They are on vacation. And they're just shooting regular, just vacation type video. They turn to take footage of their footprints. And when they do, there is something that looks to be a Yeti or a Bigfoot type creature. It took a few steps. And it's a little bit shaky as the film goes. And it looks to be really authentic. Here's the problem, though. The couple refuses to come forward and say who they are and they won't um dis- disclose the exact location of where this was filmed so some experts who have viewed the film though they say it definitely looks to be authentic they said the monster looks just like and looks and acts just like a gorilla as far as the way its stance is the little bit of movements it does before it takes off and the other thing is they kind of measured the footsteps that it took based on, you know, the uh, size and everything that it could be. And they said this creature had to be at least nine feet tall mm-hmm. to make the strides that he had. So even if this was a man in a monkey suit or something, how do you fake him being nine feet tall? Yeah, that's... Oh, you can't yeah. fake how, how wide the strides are mm-hmm. based on that. Well, I so, wonder why those people... Well, they probably don't want to be ridiculed. Cause, I but mean, they have a video. Yeah, so does, you know, Patterson and... Gimlin, but that's still 50 years later being ridiculed. Yeah, I guess that's true. Anyways, that's the story we got on the Yeti. Yeah. It's a lot of information. Sure it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeti. Thanks for bearing through us with the the horrible voice and everything. It didn't sound that bad, babe. Oh, good. So we're going to take one more quick sponsor break, and then we're going to do our... uh, patreons and stuff real quick all right trace what we got 
Okay, for our iTunes, we have Crossword Nanny, Sheila P., Sean's Girl, and Miss Presley. Thank you guys for your wonderful reviews. We appreciate them so much. Keep them coming, guys, if you can. And for Patreon, we have Selena, Norma, McGee, and Betty. Thanks, guys. We appreciate your patronage and um, for supporting the show. It means a lot to us. And while we're on the subject of patronage, we are going to do the $50 for life deal. The dates on that are going to be from January 12th through January 18th. Okay. So it'll be what we'll do. We'll set something up on our website. And you'll have to go to the website and do a $50 one-time PayPal donation. We will send you a code. And that code, you'll put it into however you listen to podcasts. You'll be able to put it in and get the direct feed. And it'll give you every um, Patreon episode that's we've ever put out. Mm-hmm. And then everything that we put out going forward. Yep. So, Sounds great. Go. Hope you guys enjoy that idea. Yep, nobody else is doing it, so that's us. And then, like I said, if you uh, would like to buy tickets to any of our live shows, hillbillyhorrorstories.com, and you may make great Christmas gifts. If you listened to our Patreon episode last night with Jeff, he had bought his wife tickets to the Bobby Mackey show for Christmas last year. Mm-hmm. In June, yep, he did. And they had a great time. So it's, if they make good Christmas presents, and there's, I think, eight or nine shows Go look at them. They're all listed on the website. Get yourself some tickets. And you can go to the store and buy yourself uh, a shirt or something to wear to the show. There you go. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate you. And we'll talk to you soon. Have a blessed week.